Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome into Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network. I'm not going to waste any time with an intro. The full 17 game schedule for the Burgundy and Gold is out. One to jump right in and preview each and every game. Now, a few of the games were leaked hours before the schedule came out. We knew that they were going to face the Chicago Bears on Thursday Night Football. They were going to open up in week one against Trevor Lawrence and the new look Jacksonville Jaguars with Doug Peterson leading the charge. And they were going to visit the San Francisco 49ers on Christmas Eve. But with now the full 17 game slate out and in order with times, locations, everything is starting to round into form as far as what we will have to watch and prepare for each and every week this fall for the Commanders and in year three of the Ron Rivera tenure. So week one starts out hosting with the Jacksonville Jaguars at one o'clock. Reunion for Andrew Norwell with the Jags. But Brandon Sheriff makes his first appearance for Jacksonville outside of the Burgundy and Gold back at FedEx Field. And a lot of the attention has been focused around Carson Wentz's first game, obviously, in Washington, facing his old head coach and Doug Peterson. But give me more of the matchup up front with the big boys in Brandon Sheriff against John Allen and Deron Payne. And now most of the people out there, you look at these first two games, which I'll get into week two here in a minute. But Jacksonville is a much improved squad. I talked about it a little bit. On last pod, they added Trayvon Walker in the draft. They added Devin Lloyd and Chad Muma, linebackers out of Utah and Wyoming, respectively. They're starting to get some pieces on either side of the ball. You look offensively, Travis Etienne, who they drafted in the back end of the first round in 2021, will be healthy. They have James Robinson. They spent money at the free agency spot. They have Marvin Jones. They brought in Christian Kirk. Trevor Lawrence is expected to be better, and he will be better in year two. So the Jaguars are not a team that you can look over right now because you go in and you're preparing to win by 15, 20 points. And the opening line came out in week one. I thought it was going to be probably a five and a half, six and a half point spread. It's at three, three and a half right now. And that will move as we get closer to week one. Things happen over the summer in training camp and injuries, you know, unfortunately happen on both sides for both the Jags and the Commanders. But week one, home against Jacksonville. Sure, you can look at that and say that should be a win. It should be a win. Washington has obviously a more talented roster on both sides of the ball. The Jaguars are completely rebuilding, especially with Doug Peterson in his first year there and improving Trevor Lawrence and improving that young roster. But they have pieces, and especially within their front seven on defense, just like how Washington built up when you look back at the days when they added Allen, Payne, Young, and Sweat, and they brought in guys like Cole Holcomb, and then he drafted Jamin Davis. The Jaguars are building a similar way in Trayvon Walker, Josh Allen, Clavin Chason. They brought in Roy Robertson Harris in free agency last year from Chicago to add some beef in the middle. They have Dwayne Smoot. They brought in guys like Lloyd and Muma. So the pieces are there. By no means is anyone expecting them to compete with the Colts and the Titans in the AFC South. But they're a team that's going to get better. Trevor Lawrence is obviously their guy that they expect to be there hopefully for the next decade under center. He's got all the talent in the world to do so. So week one, opening up against the Jaguars is absolutely no slouch. Wanted to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds in the NBA playoffs, fights, 
and even next season's future bets. And don't forget that the MLB is back as well. Who are you picking to win the World Series? BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started. Head on over to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code, Believe. That's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. We know Slouch also is, is week two in going to the Detroit Lions and Dan Campbell. And if there was one team in football last year, the record didn't show it. But you turn on Lions games and they were competitive each and every game. And one thing's for sure is that Dan Campbell's going to get his guys suited up and ready to play. They have Aiden Hutchinson, their sparkly second overall pick. They took Jameson Williams. Now, obviously, there's major questions still under center with Jared Goff, whether they're just kind of waiting next year to take a C.J. Stroud or take a Bryce Young or a Tyler Van Dyke in next year's class. But Detroit is also not a slouch as well. But you look at these first two games for Washington, home against Jacksonville, then at Detroit, and you would expect two wins. Carson Wentz under center. The team is supposed to improve. This is a major year for Ron Rivera. It could be a potential make or break year coming off of two consecutive sub-500 campaigns. We've talked about this for the longest time, that Washington could be a quarterback away. Whether that quarterback is Carson Wentz remains to be seen. It could be a guy like Sam Howell potentially down the road or someone else unnamed. Because as we know, for the last 20, 25 years in Washington, the quarterback carousel has continued to spin. So these first two weeks with Jacksonville and Detroit, you'd expect two wins. But if there's anything that we know about Washington, do not expect anything. If it's anything, it's to expect the unexpected. So on to week three, and Washington starts out their divisional slate hosting Carson Wentz's former, former team in the Philadelphia Eagles. And obviously this is going to be a game where Wentz is, you know, he'll tell you in the media and press conferences leading up to the game that he's not gonna be circling this game. Of course, this game is gonna be a massive revenge game, playing Jalen Hurts, who obviously we expect to be starting in week three for the Eagles, a guy that he got benched for two seasons ago at the tail end of the year when Wentz was showing some decline under center. And it was just at that point, figured that they were ready to move on when Doug Peterson was in his final season in Philadelphia as well. But week three against the Philadelphia Eagles, they're going to show off their flashy new first rounder in Jordan Davis. But at the same time, Washington, this is a great spot to get hot and start out in the division. Because you look at this division this year, you have the Eagles, Cowboys, and Giants. You play them six times combined. If you're able to start out hot against the Eagles at home, two of your first three games are at home. Get you know you could potentially start out three and zero before you go into week four and you have to travel to Dallas. That's a great start and it puts you in a good spot with the weakest schedule in the NFL on paper to put yourself in a good spot to not only punch your ticket potentially as a wild card team in the NFC but potentially put yourself in a position to win the division. So first three weeks, Jaguars Lions hosting the Eagles. It's an excellent spot for them to get start you know start hot three and zero. And maybe I'm, I'm just optimistic here, but if you look at these opponents and you look at Washington's roster and then you kind of bring in expectations because in years prior we talk about, oh, they have pieces on defense, on offense. You look at 2020, the defense was there, right? They were a pretty dominant defense, but they still only won seven games and the offense was average to below average. And we saw the Taylor Heineke kind of flash in the pan story when they lost to Tampa Bay in the wild card round. 
But now you have more pieces on offense in Carson Wentz. You drafted Jahan Dotson, Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick are all back and have years under their belt. It's a rebuilt front five. Ron Rivera is still in town. Scott Turner is still in town. So having that rapport between not only the coaching staff and then guys on your offense. Now, granted, it's going to take a little while. There's going to be some bumps from Carson Wentz in the road as far as he has a two-pick game or a three-pick game here. But it's he can't he's not going to be able to say, win you games like a Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, where you can just lean on the shoulders of him. Just don't lose games for you. Similar to what Carson Wentz did at the back end of last year when the Colts went down to Jacksonville and single-handedly almost you know, kept Indianapolis out of the playoffs. So very, very legit potential here to start out 3-0 before we go to Dallas in week four, a one o'clock start on October 2nd, and this is an excellent opportunity to kind of, we know that the national spotlight is always on Dallas. It doesn't matter the year, it doesn't matter who they have, it just never matters, right? What they do in the prior years, Dallas hasn't done squat for the last 20, 25 years, similar to Washington, but each and every year, they're a team that's projected 10, 11 wins. This is an opportunity in week four, especially if Washington is able to win their first three games, to go down to Dallas, let them know who potentially is the team to beat in the division at AT AT&T Stadium in front of Jerry Jones and beating them in week four with their roster that has regressed this fall. They lost Amari Cooper. Who knows what's going to be going on in the backfield with Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. The offensive line is kind of retooled with Lyle Collins gone. Now, granted, they added Tyler Smith, tackle from Tulsa, but for many people that I talked to, he's projected more as a guard, and they have need a you know have a need at tackle right now with Terrence Steele opposite of Tyron Smith. So that could be a reach as well. Now, granted, I like some of their picks that they that they made working into day two into day three. Linebacker Damon Clark out of LSU is going to I think is going to be a stud for them. Working into the next few years, he'll redshirt this year after getting injured this offseason. John Ridgeway, defensive tackle. Jalen Tolbert, wide receiver out of South Alabama that I got some good eyes on down at the Senior Bowl. Those are going to be good players. However, Dallas's roster did get worse working into this year. They, Michael Parsons is now a primary rusher, which they expect because Randy Gregory is now gone. So it's him and Demarcus Lawrence. Going into last year's draft, they thought that Micah Parsons, now granted, obviously he had an excellent year. Rookie defensive player there did everything at every single level. But they thought that Micah Parsons was going to be able to come in and be that pairing guy next to Leighton Van Der Esch. They lost Jalen Smith. They brought in Keanu Neal in that Dan Quinn defense to kind of play that safety linebacker hybrid role. But then they moved Micah Parsons down to linebacker. They cut Jalen Smith. Jabril Cox, they also drafted linebacker from LSU, a transfer from North Dakota State. It was kind of up in the air as far as what they were doing at the second level. And they still have that need, and that's why they drafted Damon Clark. But if you're going to use Micah Parsons as a designated pass rusher, now obviously he could be a a dominant pass rusher moving into this year and in, in future seasons. But you didn't draft Micah Parsons to be an edge rusher. You drafted him to be a linebacker and do kind of a little bit of everything for you alongside Van Der Esch. And a lot of the time last year, Dallas deployed one linebacker, just one linebacker on the field with Leighton Van Der Esch, and they brought Keanu Neal down. And then they asked Micah Parsons, and especially during the early parts and the middle portions of the year, to rush 
to drop back in coverage, buzz out on tight ends. There were moments in the Giants game when he was out flexed out against Kenny Galladay making players near the goal line. Now, he can do that. I think Micah Parsons is a hell of a defender and a hell of a player, and he will be for some time. But they didn't draft that, you know him to be a edge rusher. And losing Randy Gregory is going to affect them along the front four. They did get worse. I remain extremely interested to see how their wide receiver core is with Amari Cooper gone. C.D. Lamb needs to step up. Michael Gallup, now they re-upped him, gave him a ton of money, but he's coming off ACL surgery. They brought in James Washington from Pittsburgh, but that's not going to sway the needle. Now they franchise tagged Dalton Schultz at tight end, who I believe is one of the more underrated tight ends in all of football, but so is Logan Thomas. And you look on Washington's side and they have Cole Turner, and John Bates should be able to make the roster as well. And I've already talked about kind of the offensive weapons that Washington has at their disposal with McLaurin and Dotson and Yami Brown and Curtis Samuel. All those guys are supposed to be healthy this year. And you're going to have that veteran front five that has tons and tons of NFL experience under their belt. You just recently added Trey Turner, who's got five Pro Bowls under his belt as well. So why not use that week four game in Dallas as a moment of, hey, you know, this is who the commanders are this year. We got a new roster, new-ish new roster, new quarterback, new jerseys. They're going to look clean. Why not go there and make a statement, right? So week four against Dallas is that circling game early in the first quarter of the season. And then they come back that next week, and they host one of the favorites in the AFC South and a team that could potentially have a lot of changes this year because I also expect them to regress, and that's the Tennessee Titans. A team that drafted Malik Willis. Now, Ryan Tannehill is still their guy. He's been their guy for some time, and they've had a lot of success with him. But it's on the shoulders of Derrick Henry. And teams have been able to stack the box, get eight, nine guys, potentially, and force Ryan Tannehill to throw. And now with A.J. Brown in Philadelphia, which will be an interesting dynamic with him and Devonta Smith in the Eagles when, when Washington faces them in Week 3. But the Titans are a team without Derrick Henry that are an average to a slightly above average team at best with a defense that is improving. Now, you add Derrick Henry into the fold because you can't look at the Titans you know, without Derrick Henry and try to give them their full projection. They drafted Hassan Haskins from Michigan this year as kind of that thunder and lightning kind of thing that they got going on there. But force, forcing Ryan Tannehill to throw the ball, if you're looking in towards even the back end for Tennessee, I expect Malik Willis to take over sooner than later for Ryan Tannehill, because Tennessee has been good. They've won some AFC South titles you know, in recent seasons, but we know that the NFL is a pass-happy league. You gotta be able to throw the ball with some success, and you can run it as much as you want, but this isn't you know, Syracuse, the 1950s, 60s, you know, with, with Jim Brown, but you gotta be able to throw it through the air, and if teams are gonna just stack the box, limit, so to say, Derrick Henry to 140, 50 yards a game, potentially, without getting in the end zone, and they're going to have Ryan Tannehill sit back there and throw it 30 times. We've seen that that's a recipe for success. And if there's any team in the NFC East right now, maybe other than Philadelphia, that can stop the run with their athletic front seven, it's Washington with the names that are there. And they also drafted Fedarian Mathis. Now there's kind of some up and down opinions with him as far as expending a second round selection, the 47th overall selection in the draft on a potential rotational three-tech defender behind Payne and Allen. But when you're facing guys like Derrick Henry and Fidari Mathis is potentially playing 55-65% of the snaps and keeping Payne fresh and Allen fresh, that's going to matter. And that's where he's going to potentially have his breakout game, I think, as well. Be able to 
Claw gaps in the run, anchor against some double teams, free up Jamin Davis, free up Cole Holcomb, allow those safeties to come down and make some plays in the box, force Ryan Tannehill to throw. So week five against the Tennessee Titans, right before Washington's one of two primetime games against the Chicago Bears on October 13th in Chicago at 8:15. Justin Fields, year two. Who knows what that Chicago team is going to be this year. They're in a rebuild as well, just like Jacksonville, just like Detroit. Matt Eberflus is now their head coach there. They're going to want to sling it around a little bit with Justin Field. They have some nice running backs in place with David Montgomery. They drafted Khalil Herbert, who should have some nice juice in year two. Drafted him last year out of Virginia Tech. But on the outside, Allen Robinson is now gone. Darnell Mooney is their wide receiver one. And as we know in this league, just similar to last year and the success that Joe Burrow enjoyed with Jamar Chase, you got to get your young quarterback some guys that he can throw to. Because we've seen that Justin Fields can deliver it down the field with some success. But the Bears are an improving roster. They lost Khalil Mack. He's gone. This is a game where you don't really get tricky. It's in Chicago, maybe a little chilly working into the middle of October. But it could be a a ground-and-pound game where you're handing it off to McKissick, Gibson, and Brian Robinson, Washington drafted on day two, you know, handing it off 25, 30 times, and just ground and pounding behind Andrew Norwell, behind Charles Leno, behind Sam Cosme, and just pushing it down their throat 30 times a game. And it could be a game where you're winning 24-10, 24-16, something like that. Not expecting Washington to go out and blow out anybody, similar to how Washington got blown out early last year by the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo. But You'd expect their first time primetime game Thursday night at Chicago to potentially you know, be a win. And I think that's an expectation definitely from Ron Rivera's group. And then right after that, it's two NFC North opponents in a row. So you go to Chicago, you come right back, and you host Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. And this is, I think, one of the, the toughest games of this year. Anytime you're facing AR-12, it's going to be a tough day. Doesn't matter who he has on the outside. Now, granted, it was a question this year, even moving into the draft with Green Bay. They drafted Devontae Wyatt. They drafted Quay Walker with their first two overall picks. And then they added their receiver and one of my favorite guys in the class and Christian Watson, receiver out of North Dakota State, who's 6'3", runs 4'3", jumps out of the gym in both the vert and broad. But he is extremely raw on the outside, but he's going to be thrown into the fire right away within an offense that we know with Rodgers and how talented he is as a passer. He's going to sling it around 35 40 times a game. Now, they have some pieces on the outside. They, it's an older group. Sammy Watkins is there. Randall Cobb is still there. But Devontae Adams is in Vegas now. Marcus Valdez-Scantling is in Kansas City. All these different guys are gone, and there is no more rapport with these guys. You're going to have to, you know, their offensive coordinator there in Green Bay, you know, it's not Nathaniel Hackett. He's gone. He's the head coach in Denver. All of these things are going to have to progress for Aaron Rodgers. Now, at the end of the day, it's Aaron Rodgers. I think he can put up, you know, you throw for 400 yards and put five touchdowns on your head before you know it, and you're down 20. But it's at FedEx Field. They're coming in from Green Bay. This is a game I think is going to be competitive. It's going to bring the best out of Washington's young defense. It's going to be a moment where Carson Wentz says, look, I'm still that guy in this league. I deserve a starting gig, whether that's in Washington or in years to follow. And it's a game where Washington will be competitive by no means. I think Washington's going to, again, blow out anybody. But we saw a couple years ago when Green Bay came into Washington on that windy night and Kirk Cousins threw for three touchdowns against the win. And I don't think it would be a crazy argument to say that Carson Wentz 
has a stronger arm than Kirk Cousins, and the talent around him now is better than that team when Kirk led Washington to victory over Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. So here in week seven, home against the Packers on October 23rd, be a hell of a matchup. Another game that you're going to circle, just like with Dallas in week four, Tennessee in week five, and then Green Bay in week seven. That is a heck of a month right there of teams, or three out of those four games could be massive as far as the overall projection for this team. And moving forward, right before Halloween on October 30th, they're at the Indianapolis Colts, the so-called reunion for Carson Wentz in Indianapolis. Another game and this chunk of this middle part of the season where Washington has a ton of headlining matchups. And you can bet your tail that Carson Wentz may, this may be the biggest game he had circle other than the Eagles back in Indy. But you look at the Colts and they're an easy favorite right now, in my opinion, in the AFC South. And the draft by no means stands out for them. They added Alec Pierce, wide receiver from Cincinnati. But the biggest thing for them, and I recently wrote about it at thedraftnetwork.com where all of my work and written work is housed, is the size of Indianapolis's skill players. And it's truly unbelievable. And you look across the board, Alec Pierce is 6'3". Now, Paris Campbell is the shortest of the bunch at six foot. He's in a massive year. They drafted him in the second round out of Penn State in 2019. He's in a do or die campaign because he was expected to be kind of that Curtis Samuel ultimate chess piece in the offense. He just hasn't panned out at all. He's caught like 34 balls in the time he's been in Indianapolis. Pierce is 6'3". Michael Pittman Jr. is 6'4". They have Desmond Patton, who's 6'4". Michael, Mike Strachan, they drafted out of Charleston, a D2 school in West Virginia, 6'5". Their tight ends, Mo Ali Cox, a former standout basketball player at VCU, 6'5". And then they just drafted Jelani Woods, a tight end that rose in the pre-draft process because of his performance out in Vegas at the Shrine Bowl. He was completely dominant. Nobody could hold his lunch out there. And then he went to the combine, showed sure hands, Ran faster his time, ran 4-6. But the biggest thing about this offense and the straw that stirs the drink for the Colts is up front with Quentin Nelson and then Jonathan Taylor. And now Matt Ryan is that quarterback. This is their third straight year of kind of this veteran route at quarterback. They went from Phillip Rivers to Carson Wentz and then now with Matt Ryan coming over from Atlanta. But as Jonathan Taylor goes, the Colts go. And I expect him to be a potential MVP candidate, Offensive Player of the Year candidate this year. The guy is consistently going to get his, similar to Derrick Henry in Tennessee and Nick Chubb in Cleveland and these outstanding running backs kind of across the league. But Jonathan Taylor is an absolute stud and a guy when he came out of Wisconsin that was overlooked during the draft process. Um, shockingly, complete stud. He's a complete stud in the league. Um, would not be surprised if he were to have, you know, one of these Saquon Barkley-esque games that he has always against Washington where he rushes for 180, 190, 200 yards, and he has two touchdowns. But you can limit, quote-unquote, just like with Derrick Henry, you can limit Jonathan Taylor to under, you know, under 160 yards, maybe a touchdown, nothing more. Make Matt Ryan throw, get after him, get some guys in his face, and be physical on the outside with the corners that you do have, William Jackson, Benjamin St. Juice is going to come into play as a six foot three guy. And then you're facing 
these bigger receivers. And usually the common misconception about bigger wideouts is that they are unable to separate. We've seen time and time again that Michael Pittman Jr. is able to separate. Alec Pierce is able to separate. I think Jelani Woods still has a long way to go as far as, you know, anointing him as a tight end that's going to be able to consistently separate as a Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller type, or even looking at younger tight ends and TJ Hawkinson, or even like Logan Thomas and his ability to separate as a bigger receiver, wide out tight end that is newish to the tight end spot as Jelani Woods wasn't a tight end for, it hasn't been the longest time, is a convert from another position. So he's still learning the spot. And obviously in the NFL, guys are bigger, faster, stronger. They're used to being in coverage, especially now with the the loss of the typical Mike linebacker spot. You're having guys that are rotating down to the second level, whether it's safeties coming down. You've got linebackers that are 6'2", 6'3", that can roam out and run 4'4", run 5'5". They can run with you and be physical in coverage off the line of scrimmage. So they're big, they're gonna present outstanding vertical targets for Matt Ryan. But if you get guys in his face, you force Ryan off his spot. Obviously, he's not the most mobile quarterback in the world. He's obviously got some tread on the tires in his lower half. Make him move, get him off his spot, and make him force to throw it downfield and make some plays on the football. So Indianapolis, again, another matchup in the middle of the season that's going to be tricky. But again, a game that I expect Washington to remain competitive with in and Carson Wentz, obviously his reunion back in Indianapolis with head coach Frank Reich. And from there, it's Kirk Cousins' reunion. So you're going from Carson Wentz's reunion in Indy, coming home to host Kirk Cousins in the purple and gold for the Minnesota Vikings in week nine, November 6th. I can't wait. I can't wait for Kirk Cousins to come back. Now, very easily, we could look up and, and Vikings will be up 21-0. They have the talent, obviously. You got Dalvin Cook in the backfield. You got Justin Jefferson. You got Adam Thielen on the outside. Amir Smith-Marset, who they drafted out of Iowa last year, is expected to be better. And then you look on the other side of the ball, and they used early picks on Lewis Sign, safety out of Georgia, kind of boost that room opposite of Harrison Smith. And then you add Andrew Booth Jr., corner out of Clemson that slipped a little bit in this draft class with some medical concerns opposite of Patrick Peterson. Now, he's obviously got some tread on the tires, but he's that perfect veteran to kind of have the torch and and lead that and lead the way for for Andrew Booth in the next two to three years to become the Vikings CB1. So the Vikings are absolutely no slouch, and I don't think it would surprise anybody this year. Now, it's going to be a two-man race in the NFC North. It's going to be Minnesota and it's going to be Green Bay. And like I said and when I just discussed the Packers game, you can't ever rule out Aaron Rodgers. But is the roster ready to compete right now? Of course. you got number 12 under center. But as an overall roster and projecting them potentially as games winning in the playoffs, winning the North, I like Minnesota's roster. I like Kirk Cousins. I think he's going to be absolutely juiced up to come back to Washington for the first time. They have a talented roster. They have fresh legs in their secondary. They got fresh legs on the outside, Justin Jefferson. They even brought in a guy like Jalen Naylor from Michigan State who could get some snaps. And of course, you can hand it off to Dalvin Cook 25 times a game and, and call it a night. So that's going to be a tough game as well. Then moving on to Washington's only Monday night game of the year, And, of course, as expected, it's at the Philadelphia Eagles. Carson Wentz's return back home, so to say, 
to Philadelphia and a game that I just personally, you'd love to see Carson Wentz go in there and win. Uh, remember when we look back as far as major wins for Washington's franchise history when Kirk Cousins led Washington into Philly and we all remember the clutch Jordan Reed touchdown to seal the NFC East title a few years back. This is that type of game for Carson Wentz where you just kind of root for him, not just as a football player, but as an individual. And this is a game where, again, another matchup where Washington is going to be souped up. It's Monday Night Football. Everybody knows what you know what's on the line. This is a potential spot here in Week 10 moving into the middle of November where it could have some playoff implications. This is the second matchup with Philadelphia. But... Again, for Carson Wentz, you want him to win this game. And I think this is a an, another massive spot in the middle, in the meat of the season to our another statement game for Washington. And from there, back-to-back back weeks on the road, you go down to the Houston Texans on November 20th, and you face the Texans, a team that right now, look, it, you expect to win. Um, on paper, they have a long, long, long way to go before you could ever consider the Houston Texans to be a team where they're even going to win seven, eight games potentially in a season. They got massive questions at quarterback, and they still got questions for me at head coach. David Culley should have not been fired uh, last year in Houston. I thought he did a great job. Lovey Smith is now there. They didn't even hire a defensive coordinator. Lovey's going to run his, you know, his his Tampa two that he likes to run down there. On defense for the Texans. I like the pieces that they added on both offense and defense. Damian Pierce, running back out of Florida, is going to get some RB1 work for them. They got Rex Burkhead, Marlon Mack, but that's that doesn't obviously move the needle or scare anybody. But Damian Pierce is an excellent add on day two. They drafted Derek Stingley in the top five. They added Kenyon Green as a big body in the middle that has all, you know, can play actually all five positions along the offensive line and actually. Play all, you know, left guard, left tackle, right guard, and right tackle during his time at Texas A&M. And they drafted Jalen Petrie as a safety out of Baylor, who I loved in this draft process. A little bit of an undersized guy, so to say. But someone that's not afraid to stick his face in the mud, get downhill, make some plays, not only in the passing game, but, but be physical and be that leader, that culture changer, that voice to rally around in the locker room and make some plays in the line of scrimmage. They drafted one of my another draft favorites that you guys know, the fans of the pod, that Thomas Booker, interior D lineman slash DN slash everything, you know, cook your breakfast for you too, wash your car, do your taxes, um, along the defensive front out of Stanford on day three. So this is a Houston team that is young and they may have six or seven rookie starters. And that's just, you can't rely on that many rookies, or maybe you can, to win and compete in the AFC South right now. That is obviously top-heavy with the Titans and Colts. Um, But maybe Davis Mills is the answer, potentially, in Houston. They did not draft a quarterback in this draft. Maybe they're waiting for next year for Stroud, for Young, for someone else in that quarterback class. Uh, Will Levis, potentially, from Kentucky, is going to be a name you guys are going to be hearing here in the next, you know, six to eight months is a name that's going to be rising on draft boards and inside mock drafts, first-round mock drafts. So Houston's a team that is improving. They have some nice pieces on either side of the ball, but if you're Washington, that's a game you expect to win. And then you go and you host Atlanta. So at Philly in Week 10, at Houston, and then you come back and you host Atlanta, another team that is in a massive, massive rebuild. And they brought in Marcus Mariota from Vegas, 
But they also drafted Desmond Ritter, my quarterback one on my personal draft board this year. And by this time in the season, I think you could have Desmond Ritter starting for the Falcons in Week 12. You're working towards the back end of November here. You're right after Thanksgiving. You have absolutely zero expectations for this Falcons roster right now. I think GM Terry Fontenot and head coach Arthur Smith are still trying to figure out their roster. I like their draft. They took Drake London in the top 10 as their wide receiver one after taking Kyle Pitts last year to give two weapons, you know, moving forward into the future potentially with Desmond Ritter. If that's their guy, he could be their guy. I would love it for, you know, for him to to be their guy. I like Desmond Ritter's skill set. And then you go on the defensive side of the ball and you had a guy like Troy Anderson after losing Ola Kuhn, you know, Foye Ola Kuhn, to the Jacksonville Jaguars, as I mentioned when I previewed you know, the Jaguars matchup in week one. But Troy Anderson is a guy that just does it all. Turn on his film and you immediately fall in love with the kid and you look at his background, small school guy out of Montana State, All-American on offense, quarterback, running back. Then he goes to the defensive side of the ball and completely blows it up at the linebacker spot. Um, one of the most athletic freaks in this class, still obviously learning the optics of the linebacker spot. It will take him time to do so, but he'll be working alongside Deion Jones. They got some pieces on the back end in AJ Terrell in that defense. So Atlanta Falcons are a team that's rebuilding, but again, another win after visiting Houston. You come back, you host Atlanta moving into the back end of November. You'd expect Washington to win this game as well. And then from there, Hello, New York Giants. Week 13. You got to wait until December to travel travel to the Meadowlands and face Daniel Jones and a Giants roster right now that, man, over these last two years have gone, you know, undergone and go some changes. And it's a team that isn't even looking to compete this year, especially after releasing James Bradbury. And it's not like they did not have the money to afford him either. They were 30th in team spending this year and they let James Bradbury walk and they're sitting in the back end of, you know, sitting in the second round at 36. And we had this discussion at TDN in our draft house out in Vegas um, when, you know, when the draft was going on and we were sitting there like, why don't the Giants take Malik Willis at 36 and build from there? I don't think it's a, it's a hard you know discussion and a topic to sway people from the talent of Malik Willis and the talent of Daniel Jones. The Giants didn't even pick up Daniel Jones's fifth year option. If they believed in him, they would have. But you got a new GM in the building, and you got a new head coach in Brian Dayball in the building coming over from the Buffalo Bills, and it would have been a perfect matchup in my mind looking at their process that they've had with. Josh Allen, when he came in from Wyoming, by no means is Malik Willis even you know the passer that Josh Allen was coming out of school. But all the talent and the traits are there. And we know the league likes to bet on traits. And I thought in the draft that that would have been a perfect fit, but obviously it wasn't. Malik obviously went to the Titans in the third round, and the Giants didn't draft a quarterback. So whether they're looking next year potentially in a trade or free agency or to draft and potentially move up. Now, there's other teams in this draft moving towards next year, like Miami, like Philadelphia, that have given Tua Tagovailoa in Miami and Jalen and Philly, kind of these ultimatums where if it doesn't work out this year and we have the weapons around you, we saw Miami add Tyreek Hill with Jalen Waddle this year. Philly added A.J. Brown to pair with Devonta Smith, and you have Dallas Goddard at tight end, Miles Sanders in the backfield if he can stay healthy. Those pieces are there, but those teams also have two first-round picks, this year, if their quarterbacks right now aren't the answer moving forward. 
So New York Giants in week 13. I was swaying a little bit off the tracks there, but New York Giants in the Meadowlands, December 4th, right before the bye week is could be a game to where Washington is now able to establish more of those divisional wins and a three-week span here where you expect to go 2-0, feeling good, potentially going into the start of the playoffs here in the next month. So that's week 13, December 4th at the New York Giants, right before a late bye, week 14 bye. Holy hell. That is, it's a late, late, late bye. And at this point, we'll obviously know. Is Washington in the playoff race or are they not in the playoff race? And we're already preparing for the offseason. And then right after the bye, you're hosting New York. So back-to-back games against New York separated by the bye week, right in the middle of that. So two games that you need to win, especially if you're in playoff contention. And not just playoff contention, but trying to win the division crown. So New York Giants, week 13 in the Meadowlands, bye week. December 17th or 18th, that could be a flex game, could be a primetime matchup, depending on kind of the slot of the NFC East at that time and the playoff picture. It could be a game that's flexed. And that's week week 15, home at FedEx against the Giants to as their fifth of six divisional games. From there, heading out to San Fran on Christmas Eve. And this is a game where it's not looked upon as a primetime matchup, but out at San Fran, who knows what quarterback is going to be under center for the 49ers. They have a roster right now that is ready to compete. Obviously, we saw them at the NFC you know, title game last year when they lost to the eventual you know, champion Rams. But is it Jimmy Garoppolo? Is it Trey Lance? No, I don't think anybody outside of the building knows the answer, let alone someone inside the building. Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch, they're, they're going to figure out you know, what's going on under center after using a top three pick, the third overall selection, on Trey Lance and someone that I think has a lot of talent. It's just everything right now is so results oriented. And if he was at camp, he's in practice and he's throwing picks and he's not understanding reading certain defenses and certain coverages, he's not understanding the offense, then it's going to take time. It's a process. You draft a guy out of North Dakota State with a little amount of not just success, but time under center for that bison offense. It's going to take time. It's a process for some people. And And it's not just at quarterback spot. And we talked about that with Jamin Davis here in Washington. It takes a little bit of time sometimes for these guys to become comfortable. The game slows down. And then you start to see that first-round potential with that Lance was and like Jamin Davis was. So that matchup on Christmas Eve at San Francisco is going to be an interesting one because you expect San Francisco to be competitive in the NFC West to where it's going to be a rat race for that NFC West crown with Russell Wilson out of the NFC West now, and you got the Rams back. They're obviously the favorites in that division. You got a do-or-die year potentially for the Kyler Murray-Cliff Kingsbury combo for the Arizona Cardinals. They made some additions this year, especially in the draft that were up in the air. DeAndre Hopkins is out for the first six games. So San Francisco all the way in week 16 to travel out there is Washington's farthest road trip. This year is going to be a fun one. It's on Christmas Eve. Why not get around with the family, get some drinks flowing, get some food going, and watch a Burgundy Gold victory, and then enjoy you know, Christmas Day. That would be the perfect Christmas gift. And then you work, move forward to Week 17, the Cleveland Browns, a team that is Deshaun Watson under center or not. 
And that's going to remain the underlying topic for their overall projection of their season because we know that Baker Mayfield's not going to be there. And if Deshaun is there, then they're a team that could challenge the Bengals and Ravens for the NFC North crown. But if not, they could be probably challenging the Steelers as of right now to be in the basement of that division. But they're obviously a team that has some pop on either side of the ball. You got Miles Garrett on the defensive side of the ball. You look at Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. You know, they have pieces, tons of them. And they got Kevin Stefanski. I think he's one of the best young coaches in football. But the main piece right now is Deshaun Watson. And then now he's going to have a guy on the outside in Amari Cooper. And kind of they've enjoyed kind of this shuffling of wide receivers, similar like with Washington shuffling quarterbacks with OBJ and Jarvis Landry. But you got Amari Cooper there. You got Donovan Peoples-Jones, who's going to have some success. You got David and Joku, and obviously the two backs in Chubb and Hunt. You hand it off to them a couple times a game, 25 or 30 is what I mean by that. And you can throw it to him out of the backfield. That's a lot of weapons. And then you add Watson's ability to create off script and maneuver around the pocket and downfield with his legs. That is not an easy game on New Year's Day on January 1st in Week 17 and potentially a game right before they host Dallas, Washington, you know, before they host Dallas. That could be a potential playoff ceiling win, whether it's wild card or whether potentially division ceiling win. A massive, massive final two-game stretch, really three-game stretch at San Fran, hosting Cleveland, and then hosting Dallas. So into that final matchup with Dallas, another game that could have that flex potential, similar to when Washington, you know, in the Week 15 matchup with the Giants. Washington's able to close out at home in their final two games, hosting Cleveland and then hosting Dallas. These are games that you hope have some meaning. And over the last few years, there really hasn't been so much meaning to these games at the back end of the year. Now, two years ago was fun. Washington won the division. But, you know, everyone's, oh, they won seven games, but they won the division. No one 15, 20 years down the line is going to say, oh, but, you know, Washington only won seven games in 2020. It's going to say NFC East champions 2020 in the Washington football team. And that's all that matters. And whether you win it with three games won or or you win, you know, all 17 games, um, finishing out with Dallas, what better way to end a season? I don't care if Washington wins three games this year or wins 15, but if you can go 2-0 and against Dallas and you can close out your year, whether it's a year where it's potentially at this time, Ron Rivera is gone, Carson Wentz is on the bench, and Sam Howell starting, and everything is looking forward towards the offseason and everything is a, you know, a boat of negativity. Um, you know, unfortunately, what we've seen for a long time here but I don't expect it to be that. I expect this game and week 18 to be a battle of dogs at home at FedEx Field, January 7th or 8th. Again, another flex matchup that I expect to potentially you know, be a Sunday night game and be that stepping stool for the Burgundy and Gold, for Carson Wentz, for Ron Rivera, this young defense, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, getting everybody healthy on that defensive side of the ball for the entire year in a game where they stu- you know, stick it down Dallas's throat and... You know, just let them know, hey, you know, we're, we're the champs of the East. This is who we are heading in to the playoffs. So that's it. That is the full schedule. We'll go over again really quick. Jacksonville at Detroit, hosting Philly at Dallas, hosting Tennessee at Chicago on Thursday Night Football in Week 6, hosting Green Bay at Indy, 
Kirk Cousins reunion in Week 9 hosting the Vikings. Then following that on Monday Night Football at Philly, Carson Wentz's reunion back in Philadelphia. Then they go to Houston hosting Atlanta at New York. Then a late Week 14 bye. Then they host the Giants at San Fran on Christmas Eve, hosting Cleveland Browns, and they finish up with Jerry Jones's precious Dallas Cowboys to end the year. So that's going to do it for this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed. Hit me up on social media at Ryan Fowler on Twitter. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your news, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us. Leave a review, comment, share, subscribe. Again, as always, appreciate you guys tuning in. Hope you, Hopefully you guys enjoyed the schedule release. If you watched it tonight, we had our own individual kind of live schedule discussion um, on our Twitter, on our YouTube. Make sure you check that out. Check out thedraftnetwork.com. All of my written content is housed over there. Again, don't be afraid to hit me up on social media. Let me know what your thoughts are on the schedule, win-loss totals. I'm going to hold off that for now. I don't want to get too excited or too down. But overall, I do think Washington is in a good spot this year to challenge for not just an NFC East crown, but potentially going into the playoffs and potentially winning a game. The NFC seemingly is becoming weaker and weaker as the years you know, go on. And the AFC is just this arms race. You look at the AFC West and all the names out there. It's... It's really just a race for you know the finish in the AFC. And you look in the NFC and Washington has a roster that is ready to compete right now. And I think anything below 9, 10 wins this season, potentially even moving up to 11 wins with this schedule, um, would be a kind of a disappointment. Third year Ron Rivera, Carson Wentz in the building, a veteran quarterback who's proven that he can have some success and a lot of it. You know, we look back to 2017 and his MVP-like season before he tore his ACL and the Eagles went on with Nick Foles, obviously, to win the Super Bowl. But Washington is ready to compete right now and getting the schedule now on paper. The draft is now over. Free agency is winding down. But things are starting to come together here. We have OTAs the next few weeks, moving into camp the next month or so, and things are getting exciting. And this is the time to really sit back, look at this Washington roster on paper and don't be ashamed to, you know, project Washington having some success because I expect some success this year much more than the first two campaigns Ron Rivera, not just because it's an easier schedule but because Washington has been able to continuously improve and I expect things out of the new additions in Wentz and guys like Jahan Dotson and Fidarian Mathis and Brian Robinson because they're going to have to improve and they're going to have to showcase themselves or a new regime's going to be in the building and that's just the bottom line. So, Again, thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. We're getting ready to play some ball here in the near future, and I will talk to you guys next time on Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.